so I remember, uh, I guess it was probably Sarah and I were first starting to have kids. Uh, well, she was having them. I was cheering. And I remember uh, Brody and Little would always talk, you know, they're, they're such a great resource for us. And they talk about how important it was to be consistent in discipline. And, and when, when it came time to discipline the kids, and really starting at a very young age, uh, of that if you say you're going to do something, you have to do it. So, so that it, there would be no idle threats. There would be no, hey, listen, if you do that one more time, I'm taking that away. And then they do it one more time and you don't do it. So it's very important that you, you keep to your word and that it's not just an idle threat, but it becomes a warning that, no, for your own good, I'm going to hold you accountable. And because what that creates, like our children, like they, they want to push those boundaries. Why? So that they know that they're there. And what that actually does is you hold to that and you hold that boundary in place, man, it creates an environment that's stable. They know what's acceptable and what's not. And they know that they can trust your word. If that's not in place, then it creates an environment of chaos. Sometimes I can do this, sometimes I can't. Sometimes they're gonna react this way, sometimes they're gonna react that way, and it creates instability. And what we're gonna see is that, I man, God is always faithful to his word, and that his warnings are ultimately fatherly, that, that, that it's like a good father who puts this warning in place so you would know the boundary and not go any further. It's for our own security. So he does this in chapter three. I'm gonna do a little review just, just by reading. Uh, we went through verse six last week, and I wanna, I wanna read one through six again just so it's fresh in our mind. He says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider, think about Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. All right, pause. We'll pick up there in a second. So he's saying, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. He's the apostle and the high priest of our confession, right? What we confess together as a body of believers, that Jesus is God. That he is the radiance of the glory of God. That he is the, the perfect savior, right? All that we saw in, in chapter two, that he is the, the captain or the champion of our salvation who was made like us so he could suffer with us, but in our place, like face off against our greatest enemy, Satan, and death, and have victory over them, and so that his victory could be our victory. We confess that we believe in his life, and his death, and his resurrection, and our hope is that this isn't it, that this life isn't it, but that he's coming back for us. So, man, Jesus is the apostle. He represents God to us perfectly. And he's our high priest. He's able to represent us perfectly before the Father. And he says, man, he's worthy of glory. 
more so than even Moses. And if you remember, the point wasn't like to put Moses down and raise Jesus up. His point is where we're going tonight. Because Moses was a faithful servant. He's like, man, that, 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 was, that was good stuff. He's a faithful servant. What was he faithful in? He says primarily what Mo- Moses was faithful in was in telling of Christ. Like he, was, he, he told us, he predicted the coming of Christ, but not just through his words, but through his actions. So I'll, I'll ask you, Red Oak, what, what is Moses most famous for? That's right. The Exodus, right? He led the Exodus. He led God's people out of 400 years of slavery. Remember? Go to the Pharaoh and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Not just go, but so that they can go and worship Yahweh, so they can worship the one true God. He raises them up. And Moses leads this exodus out of physical chains and physical slavery so that they're now free. And, in, and then, but that's not gonna be it. He's gonna lead them through the wilderness, through the desert, to the promised land. Well, do you see what, what the writer of Hebrews is doing? Yeah, Moses was faithful. He led this exodus and that preached the gospel because Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Moses because of who he is, and he's greater than Moses because Jesus leads a greater exodus. Because the the slavery that he brings us out of isn't physical chains to a pharaoh on the Nile. He brings us out of a slavery to sin and death and Satan, a slavery of our soul that we could never break free from. And right now, Jesus is leading us through the wilderness of this life to a promised land, to an eternal rest. So he's saying, man, Jesus, Moses is great. (laughs) God used him in a powerful way. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And he says this, but Christ is faithful over God's house as his son, And we are his house, and if you remember from last week, that means that we are his people, if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. There's a scary word in there. Do you see it? It should scare us. And we belong to Jesus, if, We said a prayer and meant it with all of our hearts. Is that what he says? If we walked an aisle and were baptized by immersion. If we went to VBS, if our parents told us we were Christians from a young age, if we went to a revival and the preacher said, if you said that prayer, you don't have to hope so, maybe so, think so, like you can know so, like it's not what he says. What does he say? It's scary. Is he putting a condition on our salvation? We belong to Jesus if we, we hold fast to our confidence our boasting and our hope. He's going to say it again in verse 12. Look down. 
Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, this is our warning, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here it is. Four, we have come to share in Christ. We're partakers in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Scary. And I would say this. It's meant to be scary. These verses are put in here to shake us, to get our attention. So questions should be like swirling in our mind, like theologically. What, what, what's he saying here? Is he saying that if I, if I don't hold fast, that I could fall away from the living God, that I could... I could lose my salvation? So at Red Oak, we believe that when a person becomes a Christian, they cannot lose their salvation. Believe that if what Jesus said that, and you are in my Father's hand, no one's greater than my Father, no one can take you out of his grip. Believe that what Romans 8 teaches. I mean, he, he chose us before the foundation of the world. And if, if he chose us, then, then he was going to call us and justify us. And ultimately, he will glorify us. And that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We believe that. We love that doctrine. We love the doctrine of eternal security. I love it. I go to those passages often. So why would he talk this way? <laughs> and Paul would say similar things. He would, say, he would say, yeah, if you continue. And I think it scares us and it catches us off guard because typically we don't talk this way. Because I think for a lot of us, we've been taught kind of a shallow version of eternal security. Phrases like, well, once saved, always saved. In fact, I'll tell you this. One of the, really the first pastor I ever had, I heard him say, and I remember it, <laughs> it struck me even at the time as like, that just doesn't sound right. But he said, I'm so... I'm so sure of my salvation that there is nothing I could do to ever lose it. He said, I could leave this pulpit from preaching and go sleep with a prostitute and she could go to hell and I would go to heaven. And the reason why that didn't sit right with me is because of this. And I didn't know it then. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't afford you and I, as Christians, that view of our relationship with Jesus. The view of our relationship with Jesus that it gives us is this. You belong to Jesus if you hold fast to the end. The question isn't, 
okay, theologically, where does this fit in with my view of eternal security? The first question is, how do I take this warning to heart so that it's never true of me? Excuse me. So that it's never true of me that I'm the one who falls away, that I'm the one who turns my back on Jesus. That's what the warning is meant to do for us. And so I'm gonna leave us in the tension of that moment and we're gonna come back to, okay, what does he mean by the if? We're coming back to it. If I start to pray at the end and I haven't, John, you remind me like, okay, ease the tension. But for right now, I'm gonna leave the tension there because we're meant to feel it. In fact, in chapter four, he's gonna come back and say about this warning, he's gonna say, man, the word of God, this warning is like a sharp sword. And the point of it is that it's supposed to pierce you. It's supposed to cut you. You're supposed to come underneath this warning and allow the warning of scripture to pierce you to the deepest part of who you are, past bone, past marrow, into your heart so the thoughts and and the ideas and the imagination of your heart get exposed before God and you. That's the purpose. It's not supposed to be comfortable. Are you uncomfortable? I can keep going. Okay, no, we're uncomfortable. All right. So, I'm gonna leave that tension hanging and come back to it. He says this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so the first thing I wanna notice there is this. He, he talks, he's gonna quote Psalm 95. We, we read the whole thing. He's gonna quote part of it, and he attributes it to the Holy Spirit, that God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit already in the book of Hebrews are all seen as the author of Scripture, but he also talks about it in the present tense. Do you see that? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, that the Holy Spirit is speaking this warning to us tonight. February 5th, 2023. Today, the Holy Spirit, was that right? Yeah. If you're listening to this on podcast, just whatever day it is for you, you can look at your calendar, and then, yeah, it's today. He speaks to us today. And he's gonna use this negative example from Israel's past to warn us about our present. So that Psalm 95 for us becomes this portal that we're gonna be able to walk through and put our feet down in the sand and walk alongside the Israelites as they have had a gospel preached to them. The next chapter, he's gonna say like, man, they had good news, this generation of Israelites, they had good news preached to them just like we have. Their good news was, you're coming out of Exodus, out of Egypt, through the Exodus, and you're going into the promised land. I'm gonna give you your own land. You're gonna have your own kings. I'm gonna provide for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They had a promise, they had good news just like we do. So we're gonna walk through and see like, okay, why, why is he using them to warn us? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore, 
I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So David's writing this psalm, and what he's remembering, if you remember when we read that psalm all together, the beginning of it is, it's awesome. It's just worship. It's just praise God for who he is. And then he goes into this warning. Hey, today, if you hear his voice, through his word, if God's speaking to you, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So what's he talking about? If you remember in your Old Testament, the Exodus story, and God brings them out of slavery. Remember? God brought the plagues upon Egypt one by one. The last was the worst, the death of the firstborn son, and he brings them out, right? And they, they had some kind of faith. The people had some kind of faith. They, they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorway. And they packed all their bags and they left behind the only life they had ever known. And they leave Egypt. And they go out into the wilderness. And do you remember? God begins to lead them. How does he lead them? By day. (laughs) A pillar of cloud. And by night? A pillar of fire. You know what that is? Awesome. Okay, for real, don't veggie-tale this. These jokers saw with their eyes. Egyptians are weeping and wailing in the background, and God begins to lead them through the night with a pillar of fire. Awesome. Along the way, they come up to the Red Sea, remember? And Pharaoh decides he wants his slaves back, and he sends the most powerful army on the planet at that time, after them, in their chariots, with their swords, trained soldiers against people who, like, all they've ever known is slavery. And Moses lifts his staff over the water, and the strong eastern wind comes through and blows the ocean, and it splits in two, and they pass through the ocean on dry ground. And when Pharaoh and his troops try to follow, God closes the ocean, and one millisecond takes out the most powerful empire on the planet at the time and they've never been the same and they're free and he's leading them and guiding them and giving them these promises remember they get hungry so what does God give them manna magic bread from heaven every morning all they had to do was gather it and it says there's all these different ways that they would prepare it and it was kind of like this sweet cake I'm in some of you this would drive you crazy it did them they were eating the same thing all the time I am simple I like to eat different stuff but also if you told me every morning there will be burger basket outside your tent ship shape I eat popcorn almost every night. It's true. Makes me happy. They had magic bread every day. God's providing for them in the wilderness. Do you remember the one time? And this is where he's pointing back to at the beginning of this quotation. It says at the day of testing in the wilderness, and it's this day. It's the day that they didn't have any water to drink. They had no water to drink. 
and they've seen the pillar of cloud, they've seen the pillar of fire, they've eaten the manna, they saw Egypt destroyed, they saw the plagues come on Egypt and destroyed all the false gods that they worship, like God just wipes the floor with them through the plagues. He shows that they're not gods at all. They're deaf, dumb idols. But now they don't have water, and so they complain and they grumble and they say things like this. Did you bring us into the wilderness just to die? Our kids are gonna die. Why are we out here? And so God prays to Moses, and Moses is told by the Lord, yeah, Moses prays to God, and God tells Moses, then take the staff, strike the rock, and water will come out, and it does, and the people drink, and they live. But God says this, he says, Their rebellion is that they keep putting me to the test. They don't believe my word. Meribah, Massa, rebellion and testing. And what happens is, is that moment, although they've seen God's provision, they've had his protection, they have his word, they have the good news, they have their gospel, at the end of the day, what they demonstrate, they don't trust God and it becomes characteristic of their time in the wilderness. And this pattern repeats over and over and over and over again until it comes to a head. One of, one of the most mind-blowing moments to me in this pattern is uh, from Numbers chapter 11, verse six, four through six. It says this, so right before this, God has just killed some of the Israelites for complaining. Like he sends a fire and consumes some of the Jews because they're complaining, and then this happens. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, now listen, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna, this manna to look at. Pfft. Say what? For real? The fish that cost us nothing in Egypt. Nothing except, you know, they would take our our children and throw them in the Nile. So our, our men were just living to serve other men. They're just living to die. Just work until you die. That's your only purpose. Our women being taken advantage of in every possible way. It cost us nothing. We would rather have the temporary pleasure of melon and leeks and slavery rather than the manna that God provides in freedom in the wilderness. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? Do you feel like you're being set up? You are. Yeah, it's crazy. I would rather go back into bondage so I can have a leak, whatever in the world a leak is rather than God's promise, his provision, his presence. What are they doing? They're headed towards the promised land. 
and they're looking back over their shoulder at the temporary pleasures that they experienced while slaves. And it all comes to a head. Remember God sends the spies into the land for 40 days. The spies go into the land, the promised land, Canaan. In this passage in the next chapter, it's referred to as their rest, that they're gonna rest from wandering and enter into God's promise. And they go in and it is just beautiful. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I always picture Willy Wonka's chocolate factory right here, like the chocolate river coming down. It's a bush with bacon hanging off of it. Like, it's just awesome. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember, they, they cut down a cluster of grapes, and it's so big it takes two men to carry it. I say it's perfect. It's awesome. The, Lord, the land the Lord has given us is amazing. Twelve spies go in, two of which are Caleb and Joshua. And the other ten spies come back and they say, man, it's awesome, but it doesn't matter. We can't have it. The people there are ginormous. They're huge. They're warriors. They look like giants. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. They're like, it don't matter. We're, we're stuck out here in the desert. And Caleb and Joshua literally tear their clothes and they're like, don't do this. Don't do this right now. Don't disobey God. Take him at his word. God has promised to give us this land. Who cares who's living in there? Yahweh is with us. And they say, no, man, we can't have it. And the people are ready to stone Moses and Aaron and, and raise up a new leader that'll take them back to Egypt. And it's this moment that God says, Today is over. What today? The today he's saying that we live in right now. The today when we can apprehend God's grace. Hear his warning and respond in faith. For them that day ended. It was a new day, it was the day of the Lord. And they experienced his wrath. And God makes an oath and he says, you will not enter my rest. You will not enter the promised land. He's actually fixing to destroy him, but Moses, as a mediator, goes before God on behalf of the people, and he says, okay, I'm not gonna annihilate him. But everyone who was 20 years old and up when you left Egypt, who's seen all my works, who's seen my miracles, who's experienced the promise, who's tasted the goodness of my provision, have seen with their eyes the salvation I'm providing, all those people who saw that and yet rebelled, they're not coming into the promised land. And they did. They died in the wilderness. They walked around for 40 years, they died in the wilderness, and then the very children that they said, you brought us out here so our children would die in the wilderness, their children got to enter and experience the, the, the rest of the Lord. So why would he tell us that story right here? <laughs> why does he want us to hear that story? Verse 12. Take care, brothers. Who's he talking to? The church, believers, us. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Throughout this letter, especially right here, he keeps equating 
disobedience with unbelief. Disobedience with unbelief. And he will equate obedience with real saving faith. The kind of faith that Jesus, that Jesus authors. Real faith looks like obedience. Unbelief looks like disobedience. So he's saying, examine yourself. To us, today, February 5th, 2023, 6.17 p.m. Examine yourself, church. Examine yourself, Red Oak, to see if there is in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart causing you to fall away from the living God. And that phrase, fall away, is where we get the term apostasy that you would walk away from God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So why would he tell us that story? And Paul tells us, he says, listen, everything that happened to Israel happened for our instruction. He's saying, yeah, the people who were following Moses to the promised land, to the promised rest, they didn't get to enter because of unbelief. And Moses, he was faithful. Jesus is greater than Moses. His faithfulness is greater. The exodus, the salvation that he is leading is greater. The eternal rest that he's bringing us into is greater than the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And so he's saying to us, examine yourself that you're not like them. Although you've seen the goodness of the Lord, although you've tasted how good his provision for us is, don't taste and experience these things and then fall away. Now, I want to say here, that the warnings in Hebrews have been, they're already starting to intensify and they're gonna get more intense. Chapter two paints this picture of like drifting at sea, right? This ship that's missed its point of anchor and it's on the way to crash on the rocks. He's saying, I mean, don't drift, pay closer attention to what you've heard lest you drift away. And now he's saying, examine your heart See if there's unbelief there so that you don't fall away, commit apostasy. Now in English, fall away sounds kind of passive, but it's really not. And I encourage you to go back, I'm not gonna do it for time's sake, but I encourage you to go back and read this from Exodus 17 and Numbers 11 through 14, where the, where the Israelites are falling away from the Lord where they're committing apostasy because what the Lord says about them is they despise me. They have not believed my word. They despise me. They rejected me. They rebelled against me. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So I think sometimes what believers will do with these warnings is they'll only allow the warning to take them halfway, which is kind of where we're at that uncomfortable place. And they'll think, that's me. I'm not, 
Like I don't believe well enough. My, my hold on the gospel's not strong enough. My grip isn't, isn't gonna keep me to the end. I've already messed up. I've already sinned. As a believer, I've sinned. I've, I've, I've committed apostasy. My faith isn't real. And it, if you're not careful, if you only come underneath these warnings and jump out right here, you'll miss the intended purpose of the warning. And that'll create doubt and instability, and that's not the purpose of the warning. We've gotta stay underneath it and come out the other side with what the Bible is gonna tell us and what the writer of Hebrews is gonna tell us is a full assurance of faith. Your faith will be stronger. Your convictions will be stronger. Your assurance that you belong to Jesus will be stronger as you come through this warning. It's not meant to cause doubt and instability. Because what it's ultimately gonna expose is, yeah, it's painful and it's uncomfortable, but what these people were doing was this. To put it into terms like today, right? Because he's saying, what were they doing? They're looking over their shoulder at the fleeting pleasures of food and saying, I'll go back to slavery. What would that be like for us? The, the, the deception of sin. That as a believer, are there times, as a believer, when I have the provision of the Lord, his presence, right? Even more so, cooler than a pillar of fire. I'd like to see it. But even cooler than that, more powerful than that, is that the Holy Spirit lives in me. That's better. That's a better deal. I have his word. Manna would have been cool to try. We have the very words of God to sustain us through this wilderness. But as a believer, with all these gifts and the promise of an eternal rest, are there times that I look over my shoulder and think, oh, but if I could just touch that again. If I could just experience that one more time. If I could just pursue that thing that the Lord's told me I'm not allowed to pursue. If I could do with my body what I wanna do with my body right now. Are there those times? Yeah. But for the believer, but for the believer we hear this warning God speaks this warning and we repent. We put our eyes back on Jesus. For, for the person who commits apostasy, this is the person who ultimately stands up and says, I don't want it. I don't want Jesus. I don't want the rest. I don't want his word. I don't want to hear it. I know that it's true, but I don't want it. I know this is what he's called me to, but I'm walking away from it, and they willfully reject the word of the Lord. They willfully despise God in his provision. And that's terrifying, and there are those who do that. And what they demonstrate is that they were never truly one of us. Because what he says is this, and you are God's house if indeed you hold your confidence in your boasting in your hope firm to the end. 
And he's not telling us how to be saved. He's not saying, and this is how you ultimately are saved. You just hold firm to the end. No, what he's saying is, this is what demonstrates that you are saved. Today, today, Red Oak, today do you hear his voice? Is he speaking to you through his word? And are you persevering today? Listen, look at what he says again. It says, we have come to share in Christ. That is something that has already happened. It's past tense. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, something that's true of us in the future. Holding fast to the end shows it is the evidence that we have come to share in Christ. It proves that we are his house. We are his people. The implication is that if I don't hold fast the assurance of our confidence that I never was a partaker in Christ. Holding firm is the opposite of falling away. Holding firm is trusting and obeying God. Holding firm to the end, persevering, demonstrates that you belong to Jesus. Because remember I said, man, that warning is supposed to pierce us to the deepest part of who we are like past our sin, past our self-righteousness, past our doubt and insecurities, down to the core of who we are, and it reveals what's really there. And for the believer, what these warnings do is what it, it reveals that what's there is a faith that Jesus has authored. And if he authored it, he will perfect it. And an unbeliever, what it will do is reveal that I have a faith that has no root, that can't sustain itself. And in either case, that is a good place to be. Because if you're the unbeliever and these warnings reveal to you, yeah, I don't want the things of the Lord. I don't care what he has to say. I know somewhere in my mind and at one time I would have said, yes, I believe that, but I don't want it. You need that exposed because today, if you hear his voice, you can apprehend his grace. You can receive his mercy. You can repent and look to Jesus and put your faith and trust in the perfect work of Jesus. And if you're a believer, even though it's painful and it cuts deep and you realize, yeah, there's so many times I've messed up. There's so many times that just like the children of Israel, I looked over my shoulder and I desired the sinful, fleeting, deceptive pleasures of sin over against God's word, what Jesus keeps doing. What he keeps doing is he keeps persevering me because he won't let go. We're gonna cheat and jump ahead to chapter 12. Listen to how he says it here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close. He knows us, he knows our frame. 
and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, with perseverance, the race that is set before us. Here it is, looking to Jesus, the founder or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, think about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remember, we're hanging there in tension. Is it my grip on the gospel that saves me? No. It's not about our faithfulness. Jesus was faithful. Jesus was faithful. And as we look to him, he strengthens our faith. Do you see it? Looking to Jesus, considering Jesus, therefore don't grow weary. And sometimes it may feel like as you go through the trials and temptations of this wilderness, it may feel like you're hanging on by your fingernails. But what you can know is that Jesus is strengthening your fingernails and you will not let go because he's the source of your faith, because he's the author of your faith, and he's perfecting that faith. And Jesus does not fail. He does not fail. He's already accomplished it. He already suffered for sinners. He endured the cross, despised its shame, (laughs) and he rose up again in victory, and he sits enthroned right now in heaven And he prays for you. What does he pray? That you would persevere. That you would hang on. That you would endure faithfully to the end. And by his grace, you will. And what these warnings do is it keeps us, keeps us looking back to Jesus. How do we hold firm? He told us at the beginning of chapter three. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus constantly drawing our attention back to the person and work of Jesus and that strengthens our faith and we don't fall away. Warning passages are part of the means by which God keeps us, by which he is preserving us in the faith. We are meant to hear the warning, come under its harsh gaze and allow it to penetrate into our core and expose all that's there because ultimately what's there for the believer is Jesus, the faith that he authors. So, back to chapter three. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he says, for who are those who heard and yet rebelled? And he, he walks through, he says, man, that's the people that had heard their good news. There's one more thing I want to point out is this, right? He told us to consider Jesus. He told us to examine ourselves, but there's a third thing, right? Consider Jesus, consider your own heart, and consider one another. Do you see it? Verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. What's he saying? He's saying, yeah, that our perseverance is a community effort. That we not only have responsibility in our own life to examine ourselves look to Jesus, but to examine one another. 
and brotherly love and point one another to Jesus as often as we have opportunity. And I'll say this, I'm so thankful to be part of this church. I'm one of your pastors, but I'm part of this church and I have, for however long Red Oak's been a thing, before that, whatever we were before that, like God has used this group of people and as it's grown to help me persevere. It's real. We've done this for one another. Every time you share testimony and you share prayer requests and you talk about what the Lord's teaching you and what he's doing in your life, we are appointing one another to Christ and we are helping each other persevere. Every time somebody has called me out for sin in my life, an attitude I had, something I said that I shouldn't have said, every time somebody's asked me how my marriage is doing and how my kids are, like all of that is pushing me towards Christ and I'm thankful to be part of a church where this is a reality. And we need to be strategic and intentional in doing this for one another. I'm thankful to be part of a church where if I were to start to walk away from the Lord, there's people in this church that would call me back. We have that responsibility in one another's lives and we see that play out. So again, I'll, I'll end with this. I mean, the Lord may have brought you in here tonight primarily so that you would hear this message, so that you would realize that you're the person who's been walking away from a faith you once claimed and you never really believed it. That your rebellion against the Lord and your disobedience is just evidence that you never truly trusted Christ. And to you I would say, that is God's grace. It is his kindness that he would show you that. So respond in repentance and faith tonight. And as a believer, we just continue to look to Jesus intentionally, day in, day out, fix our eyes on Jesus, and he'll keep us. Let's pray. Lord, love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I pray that you would allow us to worship you now in spirit and truth. And I do pray if there's somebody that's wrestling with their relationship with you and their understanding of the gospel, if they've been walking away from you, I pray that you would call them back that in your, in your kindness you'd lead them to repentance and that you would author their faith, that you'd rescue them for your glory. Praise in Christ's name, amen.